Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game on Business Talk with Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. Get some coffee and have a seat. You're going to need a bobble and a seatbelt. This is Game on Business Talk on National Syndicated Radio. We have a wonderful show for you today. The topic for our show today is mental wellness and uh, mental wellness for the healthy living and life. And our guest today is Jessica Latin, principal and founder of JL Counseling LLC. Jessica is a counseling has a counseling practice in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana. Her she provides counseling services that specialize in domestic violence, pregnancy, prenatal, and postpartum care. She's also a licensed professional counselor and has a graduate certificate in dynamics of domestic and family violence. She holds an MA and a BA degree from Louisiana Tech University in Counseling and Guidance and Psychology. I want to welcome our wonderful guest today for our show, Jessica Latin. Jessica, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I've been waiting for this all week. Goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. I'm excited. Well, we want to jump right into it. I want you to tell our audience, um, basically, what is maternal mental health and why is it important? Because I think one of the things we, uh, you're going to talk about mental wellness for the healthy and living, for healthy living and life. And one of the things is we definitely have some things that people need to be aware of, like uh, maternal mental health and uh, per perinatal, if I'm saying it right, perinatal mental health illness. We definitely need to need for you to give us some insight on that and what that is. And can you tell us first what's maternal mental health and why is that so important? Okay, yes. So maternal mental health is basically like the overall well being of a mother or a woman's psychological and emotional health. Um so particularly with the perinatal mental health I focus on women who are either preparing to have a child or um, throughout the pregnancy and even after they've had children. Uh, So we cover everything from their physical health to their mental health because it all coincides with one another. So it's just the overall package. Wonderful. Now, is that for women or is that for the families, the uh, maternal mental health? Is that just for women or is that for the whole family? It's primarily for the women, but I do work with a lot of couples because it affects everybody that's associated. So definitely your spouse or your partner and also the ch- the, the other children, uh, if you have other children involved as well. So I work with couples and families as well when it comes to maternal mental health because support is definitely needed for women who are dealing with perinatal mental illness. Oh, wonderful. What are some characteristics that say a, a person, or I guess particularly a needs some help with maternal mental health? And uh, Is there some symptoms of that? Is there some kind of things that we should be looking for that they need help? Yeah, definitely. So one of the key signs is lack of overall self-care, just not really taking care of themselves as far as eating, sleeping. They might uh, have 
several mood changes throughout the day, and it might be out of normal for that person. Um, also, just kind of failure to be attentive and bond with their newborn baby oh, or wow. with their children as well. So those are one of the main signs and symptoms of a perinatal mental illness. Also, extreme anxiety, um, excessive worry about harming their baby or somebody else harming their baby. So there's actually, there's, there's tons of symptoms, but those are just a few. How common is that for women to experience maternal uh, mental health like that? How common is that? Oh, it's very common. So one in five women experience postpartum depression or some sort of perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And actually one in ten men will experience a perinatal mood and and anxiety disorder as well. So it's very common. Yes. Now, so uh, what does perinatal uh, focus on? Is it someone other than a woman? Is that what it means? It kind of seems like that. So perinatal is basically from before, during, and after birth. So oh, that okay. if you, you might hear it um, with medical providers. If they talk about perinatal, they're talking about those three um, time periods of the pregnancy, so before, during, and after. Okay, wonderful. And, and um, I'm afraid to ask, but what are some symptoms for perinatal uh, mental illness that someone needs help with that? What are some symptoms of that? Okay, so basically there are um, a few specific perinatal mental illnesses out there. So, of course, we've heard of the common one, postpartum depression. So right. that includes just being very sad, uh, isolating yourself, not getting enough sleep, crying a lot, that type of thing. But then there's also perinatal anxiety, which is what I mentioned before briefly about just having extreme anxiety about the the well-being and the health of your baby or worrying if somebody is going to harm your baby. Um, there's also perinatal OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, where they may have obsessive rituals and um, intrusive thoughts of harming their child. And then there's also perinatal psychosis, where we see women that are hallucinating and delusional and they wind up having to be hospitalized. You may have seen extreme cases um, in instances on the news where women have actually um, committed infanticide or um, they've harmed their children or had like a, a double like homicide, suicide type thing. Uh, so you see those are very extreme cases. It only happens in one in a thousand uh, women. So it's very rare, but when it does happen, it's very serious. Yeah, uh, Jessica, you just make me think of that case with that lady. I forgot her name. It was some years ago. It's been probably over 10 years now. That she killed yeah. her her newborn baby. I think she had a baby, and she did she kill all her children, or I think it was the newborn. Yes, yes. There was one very um, popular in the I want to say it was the nineties because I remember from when I was a kid. It was a woman yeah. who drowned her children. Exactly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm, yeah. So that is uh, essentially perinatal psychosis. What is, you say that's rare when it gets to an extreme like that? That's not too yes. common? 
No, that's not common. Most women that do have any thoughts of intrusive thoughts of hurting or harming their baby, and I just want for the listeners out there to know that if you do have those types of thoughts, that is very common, and you don't have to feel embarrassed about it. The thing, the difference between psychosis and just anxiety or OCD is that you have awareness and you know, oh, that thought isn't right. You know, I need to get some help, and you'll seek some help. Um, but someone who is psychotic, they have no understanding that what's going on in their mind is not right or doesn't make sense. Uh, does, uh, the 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 mental illness of maternal, does it affect women differently? And it may some women will go to an extreme like that because a woman usually doesn't kill her own kids. That's just not real common, is it? No, it's not. And a lot of it comes down to, of course, hormone imbalance right after your baby is born. Our body is going through a lot of changes um, throughout the entire pregnancy. So a lot of it is related to a hormone imbalance, but also one risk factor is if you've previously had um, a diagnosed uh, mental illness of depression or bipolar disorder. So that that's a, a high risk um, for that. But other than that, most women, if they do have postpartum depression, they don't always think about um, harming themselves or harming their, their children. It may just be not necessarily bonding properly with their child. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Wow. And uh, now, flip this on the other side. You said it also affects the spouse as well. How does that affect yeah. the spouse? Is that because it's a new dynamic with a new baby and they're having to make adjustments? What's been your real your expert opinion? Yeah, definitely. So if you think about when you had your own children, how nervous you were as a new father, mm-hmm. and, oh, my God, how am I going to take care of these children financially and mm-hmm. even emotionally? You know, back in the day, fathers were more more so viewed as disciplinarians mm-hmm. um, instead of nurturers. And so I think we are seeing a, a shift in our fathers now being more nurturers and more hands-on. Mm-hmm. And that can just be very intimidating. But you're more likely to have a perinatal mood disorder as a um, husband or spouse or significant other um, if you're, if the the pregnant woman or the postpartum woman has of perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Now, are there some are there some symptoms that men that the women need to pay attention to their spouses? Is there some symptoms for them as well, or is it just usually for the women? I would say it would be about the same. So, difficulty sleeping, not eating, um, drastic mood changes, angry outbursts, irritability, things of that nature. Oh goodness. Uh, do you think this uh, this happens across cultural lines or racial lines or ethnic lines? Does it affect everybody the same? What's your expert opinion on that, Jessica? Oh, yes, it does affect everybody. There is no one, no culture or no race or ethnicity that is exempt from it. However, um, with African Americans, we are more likely 
to have a undiagnosed perinatal mental illness because there's such a stigma with mental health in general mm -hmm. in our community. And so we kind of think, oh, well, this is normal and I'll just get through it. And we never really take the time out to really look deeper into things. So unfortunately, African Americans are at a higher rate of having postpartum depression than their white counterparts. I, you just made me think of this. I got to ask you this, Jessica. I know you've seen this movie. Uh, was it for color girls only? And that yeah. pivotal scene where that man put his kids out there because he was yeah. having trouble. I think the woman didn't want to marry him. She didn't think they were ready to get married or something. Yeah. In same case of that, where you know, the, the, the barb is just toxic for the kids where well, the man is acting like that. Have you seen that in your, in your practice, you know, counseling people? Have you seen anything like well, that? Well, yeah. Well, I used to work in foster care as well, so I've seen a lot of instances of domestic violence. And in that particular movie, he was a, a veteran that uh -huh. dealt with PTSD. So he mm -hmm. was um, having a lot of PTSD episodes. So he really needed a lot of mental health support, but I guess he just wasn't getting what he needed. But I see that a lot. Um, but mental illness, I think we do look at the movies and it just really exaggerates and makes it seem mm -hmm. like everybody who has a mental illness is going to go out here and just do something off the wall. And that's very, very rare. Um, a lot of times they just need the support and the help, and they're not wanting to hurt anybody. Because mm -hmm. I, I definitely see your point on that, because it takes a lot for somebody to want to take their own kid's life. I mean, do some people just yeah. get pushed over the edge? What's been your experience of what you've seen? I think a lot of times it just, like you said, gets you, you can't take it anymore. You, you just don't have any hope, really. And that's one of the things I try to give people in my counseling practice is give them hope and help them to realize, like, this situation you're in is only temporary. And if you do the work, then we can get you to a level of peace and helping you to hopefully move forward in your life. Oh, that's wonderful. I was also thinking about a case that happened here in San Antonio where a lady, she was just having trouble in her life. I think she couldn't, she wasn't able to keep a job because she had a disabled daughter that was in one of the, you know, the chairs. A young lady couldn't walk, and she mm -hmm. killed all her kids and killed herself. Wow! You, you can't. Could you see any signs that it may lead to that with someone that may need help? So some signs of. Uh, suicidality or withdrawal or isolation. Um, sometimes you'll see people giving away things um, like prized possessions. They'll just mm -hmm. give them away as gifts to people. Mm -hmm. um, but typically sometimes there is no warning and sometimes people just do it. Uh, we do see a lot of cries for help sometimes on social media. You may see someone say something. So I just always encourage people, if you do see something that's a little off or a little strange or somebody seems to be very obsessed with death or saying they can't take it anymore or they just don't know what they're going to do, definitely give them the number to the suicide uh, hotline because that could be – 
the difference between life or death. You could literally save their lives because sometimes they're just looking for somebody to care. I think that the mother, you made, you provide an excellent analysis. <coughs> Excuse me. I think the mother just went beyond a point of she just couldn't take it anymore. And she figured yeah. she could she rather take their lives and not not have them not live in poverty. And it was a really sad case. She had three yeah, children and she took times, she killed all of them. A lot of, of times people feel like they are um a burden, you know, mm-hmm. and if you can't take care of your children you feel like oh, they might be better off without me, but that's really not the case. Um, there's so many resources out there for single parents. Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many things out there. So never think that that is the only way out is, is to end your life or to end your children's life. There's always another option. How do you make somebody see that, uh, Jessica? How do you make them – because this, when people get into a mood and that's the only uh, 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 out. Uh, only way to address some problems is it's really not. You know, how you deal with a problem, it may be your perspective about it. All problems have a solution. But yeah. how do you talk to somebody, get them out of that mindset? What do you say to them? So one particular thing that I say is I say don't make a permanent decision based on temporary emotions because I tell mm-hmm. them, I'm like, when you woke up this morning, you probably felt one way. In the afternoon, you probably felt another way. This mm-hmm. evening, you're probably going to feel another way. Our emotions are constantly changing. So you mm-hmm. never want to make a permanent decision based on temporary emotions. Another thing that I also tell my clients is I have them reflect on a time in their past where they thought, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be able to see, oh, well, I did overcome that in my life, and I thought that that was the worst time of my life. Um, So usually when you can look back at a time where you did overcome something that you thought was so horrible, it gives you the motivation to push past this time period presently. Mm -hmm. Interesting. We're going to take our first break, Jessica. We'll be right back. This is Game On Business Talk. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with Dante Miles. We have our show today on mental wellness for healthy living and life. And we have our wonderful guest, Jessica Ladden, principal and founder of JL Counseling, LLC. And we had a riveting first segment where we talked about some of the uh, maternal issues, uh, maternal illnesses that people have, especially after having a uh, new child in the, in the home. And definitely that was a – we were piggybacking on our last segment, Jessica. That was a very, very sad case that we were talking about and uh yeah you just cannot you just would think a mother would do something like that so but goodness domestic violence and mental wellness what i gotta i gotta ask you maybe i want to be clear on this what's a clear definition or your definition of uh domestic violence Okay, so domestic violence is basically like violent or aggressive patterns of behavior in the home. It's particularly towards a partner or a spouse, and uh, sometimes children are involved as well. So it's basically just a violent or aggressive pattern, but that's the key word, pattern. So it has to occur multiple times. Now, in domestic violence, when you counsel people, 
uh, do you is it a professor and a passive person or can it be both? Um, usually there is always an aggressor. There's always someone in the relationship that has power and control over the other person. Mm -hmm. And that's really what domestic violence is all about. It's about power and control. And, 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 and I, you know, I think now we're starting to see this. I'm not going to say it's more of a balance because there's always going to be more males committing domestic violence. But do you see a balance between the two and what's been your experience? There, there definitely are women who commit domestic violence or abusive acts, mm -hmm. definitely. And mm -hmm. we always try to uh, precursor that when we have different trainings and talks mm -hmm. about domestic violence because, of course, we want the men to know that we're here for you guys, too, if you're in an abusive relationship. But statistics do show that men are usually the uh, perpetrators in domestic violence cases. Do you have some women that come see you that probably didn't know they were in a domestic violence situation or something that they just tolerated but they didn't see it that way? Have you had clients like that, Jessica? Oh, yes, often. And it's usually because it wasn't necessarily physical. It was more so emotional or um, verbal abuse, and maybe that's something that they were exposed to in their childhood, and so they don't know what is considered to be a healthy relationship. They haven't had an example of that. So, unfortunately, they get caught up in a relationship in their adulthood that reflects what they saw as a child. Well, interesting, interesting. Has, and you know the statistics on this better than me, has there been an increase in domestic violence? In the United States? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, oh, wow. And particularly in, in the state that I'm in, Louisiana, we are actually number two in the country for domestic homicides. We're only next to Alaska is number one. So um, the United States has a major problem in domestic violence and domestic homicides. Why is Alaska, why is it so high in Alaska? Is it, I, I, I've got to hear this. I think it's because, and this is what I've heard, is that um, they're more isolated up there. Mm -hmm. there it's more rural areas in, in Alaska. And so mm -hmm. when you don't have transportation or you don't have access to a lot of resources, you leave yourself wide open for uh, potential abuse. Wow. Wow. It's Mistaken, Alaska has a higher population of males than they do females. Am I right? I don't know that information. I haven't heard that. Because I remember Alaska was the place where women want to go to find a man because a lot of those men, oh, wow. that industry <laughs> over there, I forget it's, this, this different industries. I think fishing is one, uh, construction. Okay. It's about four core industries that Alaska is known for. And uh, if a woman wants to find a husband, they used to tell them to go to Alaska because that's where all the men wow. were working. Yeah, but I don't know if it's like that now, but that was back in the day. But um, tell me, why, okay, why is Louisiana second? What, what's, what's some of the pattern of violence? Well, Louisiana is second because we're sportsmen's paradise, so we okay. have a lot of hunting. So a lot of our residents have guns. Um, okay. So that's why we are number two in the nation for domestic homicides. And also we have a lot of rural areas as well. 
Um, and like I said before, it, we have lack, lack of resources. Um, one of our, the the local domestic violence shelter that I um, work with frequently, they cover a large number of parishes, or you guys would call it counties. Right. Um, they cover they cover a large area because there's just there's not a lot of resources. All right. So because there's lack of resources, there are a lot of people that that are not being treated properly because they don't know about them or it's because it's just lack of resources. Correct. So lack of resources, lack of education and awareness. Um, and, and a lot of times people, they just don't know what a healthy relationship consists of. My, my, my. Now, you alluded to this earlier. I got to ask you, what's, now what's domestic homicide? What is that? So domestic homicide is actually um, a domestic violence ending in uh, murder or death oh, of, wow. the, of the partner. And so sometimes we may see that where it's a suicide homicide thing as well. Oh wow! Now, what are what are the uh, statistics on that? And I know you provide counseling to that with your uh, counseling practice. How high are the statistics mm-hmm. for that? Um, it's pretty high, like I said, because we're number two, and I know particularly in Shreveport, we have a very very high crime rate. I remember last year the statistics were something crazy, like we had maybe fifteen murders and it wasn't even the end of January. So oh, I mean we oh. it's it's a yeah, so it's 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 very heavy out here and there's just a lot going on. So I really try to educate people and inform people regularly, like these are the signs, this is what you need to do. Um but ultimately I think that we just have to be supportive to those who are victims of domestic violence and let them know that whenever they are ready to leave, that we're here for them and that there are some resources available to them when they're ready. Wow, that is interesting. And elaborate on that further, Jessica. Uh, What causes somebody, now, is it homicidal or suicidal when you have a, a domestic homicide? Which one is it more? Um. Sometimes it could be both. Um, It really just kind of depends on the situation. I've seen some where it's been both suicide and homicide at the same time, Uh, and then there's been some instances where it's just been homicide. So it just kind of varies, and it's on a case-by-case situation. Now, normally is the aggressor in the domestic violence situation, is the aggressor usually the one that commits, I guess, homicide? Uh, and a person that yes. the victim commits suicide is that how it works? Yes, mostly that is because we the, there's a statistic that goes around that says it takes um, it takes a victim or a survivor at least ten times to leave, and every oh, time wow. she every time she tries to leave, it gets dangerous and dangerous. So sometimes they don't make it out uh, because sometimes a lot of times it ends in death on their part. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Um, and I assume when people come see you, and you obviously the, the guy that's the aggressor, he normally doesn't, I've seen this, and tell me if I'm right, he normally stays away from counseling because he's not the big man anymore in front of his woman. 
because he's ordered her rom, but he's not gonna order your rom when you be, when you get him up under a facility. Am I right? Right. Well, normally, um, by the time it gets to the point of them going to counseling, the mm-hmm. perpetrator may already be in some sort of police custody or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have already been ordered to go to perpetrators counseling. Mm-hmm. And so what I particularly, uh, I have it in my paperwork when people come to me for couples counseling, I do mm-hmm. not do, I do not do couples therapy for um, domestic violence couples simply because you're just going to be put in another abusive situation where that perpetrator is going to try to put on a mask or put on a facade in front of the counselor Mm -hmm. and try to gaslight or make the victim appear like something is wrong with them. So I usually do not do couples counseling with couples who are engaged in domestic violence. But usually by the time they come to me, they're usually referred from the local shelter, and there's already been um, some sort of um, police involvement already. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Kid, and I, you're a seasoned pro at this, Jessica. Can you read body language when you see someone come to see you? Can you tell who the aggressor is and who the victim is based on body language? Sometimes you can, but a lot of times if you're dealing with someone who may have a personality disorder, and mm-hmm. it may be difficult. They may be very skilled. That's the thing about a lot of abusive perpetrators. Mm-hmm. They can act one way in front of somebody else and a completely different person behind closed doors. So that's why you see that often, even with the celebrities that we love so much, Mm -hmm. we love them because they're very charismatic. They're just Mm -hmm. this great person in front of everybody else. Mm -hmm. They're the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, and so, but when they're with the, the victim, they're a totally different person. So sometimes, it is difficult to just see based off of body language um, if somebody is being honest about the way they're treating their partner. Because uh, I had a personal situation that happened with my family, and I want to ask you this. As, have you seen situations where the court is trying to uh, get a person to go out this counseling and that person really isn't qualified to be there? because they don't have a history of committing questions like that? Um, let, let me see if I get your, your question right. So mm-hmm. you're wondering if they qualify for therapy because they've never been, they've never had like a prior issue before? Right, like you have a situation where a guy uh, got into a fight with his girlfriend Okay, mm-hmm. and the courts are very, very prejudiced on this. I've seen this, and mm-hmm. that may have been—he may, she may have slapped him, and he was defending himself or something like that. And mm-hmm. they make him take domestic violence classes, but they won't make her take them. Have you seen a situation oh, like okay. that? I haven't seen that yet, but I'm pretty sure that that does happen. That's probably very common. Like I said, sometimes women are abusers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but unfortunately, we can't control what the decision the court makes. Right. You know, so if that person is unhealthy for you, whether male or female, mm-hmm. um, if that person is attacking you or putting their hands on you in any way, then mm-hmm. I would just recommend that they leave so they won't have to endure 
any other trials or any other issues, if that's mm-hmm. the case. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming towards the end of our second segment. Let's let's hold that thought, Jessica. We'll take our break here. Okay. This is Game on Business Talk with DM. Hi, we're back. This is Game on Business Talk with D'Anthony Miles, and we have a wonderful topic today, mental wellness for healthy living and life, and we have a wonderful guest today, Jessica Ladin, principal and founder of JL Counseling LLC, and that was a riveting last segment we were talking about, Jessica, on uh, domestic violence, and definitely want to piggyback up on that, because that gets into our next segment topic on uh, mental health and some frequent questions that you get. Now, I want to ask you... Um, what kind of questions do you get basically asked you about mental health? What what kind of questions do you get, common questions? Oh, gosh. Um, one is um, how do I go about getting therapy? Um, how do I convince my significant other to go to therapy? Uh, um, what else? Gosh, there's so many. Uh, the main one is... What do you like? How do you deal with family that doesn't necessarily support you through your mental illness or through your mental health issues? So, I have a lot of people that their family just doesn't understand mental health Mm -hmm. and they think that they're just trying to get attention or something like that. So, I get a lot of questions about how do I get my family to to work with me and accept me um, for for what, what I'm going through and support me in everything that I'm going through. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of times is it mental health is or what mental illness is and that's when they come see you until until something gets out of hand or or is it that usually the case? Yeah, usually people come to see me when there is some sort of major issue or crisis occurring, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have a few that will come to me. Maybe they've been in counseling before and they just want to continue the process. Because it's just like, and I tell people this all the time, it's really just like going to get your yearly checkup with your doctor. Um, And I wish we would start looking at it like that, Um, just like we go to the doctor every year. Mm -hmm. It should be an ongoing maintenance type of thing with your mental health as well so that when problems do arise, you're not panicked and, you know, it's not – it, you can handle it a little bit better than if you if you've never talked to anyone about it. Oh, interesting. What are some of the current issues that you've seen in terms of mental health in your you know that you run into a lot? What kind of things that you do you see? Oh gosh, um, with this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic, mm-hmm. just since March. I've had a huge influx of um, clients calling me wanting to have counseling services because they're dealing with depression, they're dealing with um, severe anxiety. So, and then you see a lot of couples that are going through issues because they've been forced to have to stay at home with each other mm-hmm. and work through those issues that they've been avoiding through going to work or going to school or, or hanging out with other people. So these last, I guess we've been in the pandemic, what, six going on seven months now, mm-hmm. that that has really um, catapulted an increase in mental health issues. You know, it was close to me, and tell me if you see this a lot. Uh, there was a situation where um, this young lady 
her mother was engaged in an alternative lifestyle. Her mother had a, I don't know how, a partner. And mm-hmm. there was the the young, the, the girl was going to school, and she was having problems at school. One, she didn't like her mother's lifestyle. And the other problem was kids were ridiculing her about her mother and her mother's mm-hmm. partner. And it was a, I felt sorry for this young lady. She just, she just checked out. Do you see yeah. things like that a lot? Yes. Yeah, the- so I work for predominantly with children I have a full-time job um, mm-hmm. at a clinic where I work mm-hmm. predominantly with children and adolescents mm-hmm. and bullying is a huge issue with kids and oh, it leads please. to suicide most of the time um, how bad is it of, is it pretty bad it's really bad actually um, suicide is like the second leading cause of death um, for ages 10 through 34 um, so it's very yes. common for this age group of young people, and especially there's been an increase in black children ages 5 to 11 in suicide. Why is that happening? What's your what's your professional opinion about that? How is that happening? I think a lot of it is related to social media. Um, mm-hmm. Our kids are getting on social media earlier and earlier, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some babies that have social media accounts. And the pressure from having to live up to the facade that you put on social media or living for the likes of other people causes people causes these young people to have so much stress and anxiety mm-hmm. about what people think about them and their self-esteem is so low and it causes them to feel like they would rather die than to go to school the next day and deal with the ridicule. And nowadays, you know, when we were kids and we went home, we could kind of get away from the bully. But right. now because of social media, the bully is going to be following you you know, all day long if you stay on the computer or your phone on social media, so there's no getting away from it. Why Why is bullying such a problem in, I guess, uh, school? Because when I was in school, they didn't even have a name for bullying. And then, it, then yeah. a teacher will look the other way or say, you need to handle that yourself. And, you know, yeah. some kids are not equipped to fight. They're not, they weren't raised like that. What's been your yeah. experience with that? I think there's a a, a lack of um, tolerance and accepting others for their differences, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then also there's a lack of problem-solving and conflict resolution skills that we had to develop as a kid. Uh, there's a, lot, a lack of conversational skills and communication skills that our children don't have because of so much technology use. Um, so they haven't developed those skills, and it makes them targets for abu- uh, bullying. What what causes a kid to want to be a bully? Is it is it they're bigger than the other kids? Is it they are stronger than the other kids? What usually causes that, based on your professional opinion? I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier with the domestic violence and the abuse. It comes back to power and control. And everybody wants to have a a sense of power and feeling like they're in control of something. Mm -hmm. And what I see with a lot of um, young people who are bullying other children, usually they've been bullied before, and so they feel like, well, my power was taken away, so I'm going to take power over somebody else. 
Um, sometimes you'll see a lot of those kids are being abused at home, um, and so they take their anger out on other children at school. A lot of them may have personal insecurities because they can't read or they're not good in math, and mm-hmm. so they take those frustrations or they try to distract everybody else from, oh, he can't read, to, oh, he's the strongest, he's the baddest in the school. And they would rather have you think about that than think about, oh, they can't read or they can't do math. Does it, based on your research or based on your counseling people, do you ever counsel bullies? I mean, do you ever see them come into your office and go, you cannot continue to do this? What, What kind of counseling do you give them? I'm curious. Well, for a lot of our kids um, and adolescents and even adults, because there are adult bullies as well, um, I try to try to pinpoint how they feel about themselves. And if it's a self-esteem issue, we try to go from there. So what is causing you to feel so low about yourself that you feel like you have to tear somebody else down? Okay. I really try to look past I really try to look past them as a bully and not put a label on them and just say, so who are you as an individual and what type of person do you want to be? How do you want people to perceive you? And usually we can start breaking down some of those barriers and um, hopefully getting them to be more empathetic towards other people and seeing like, okay, if this was happening to you, would you like this type of treatment? And most people will say no. But a lot of times it comes down to past abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a major thing, especially with my adults that have anger management. A lot of it is related to trauma and abuse. Now, these bullies end up turning into adult bullies, and they get themselves in trouble. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So I try to tell a lot of my teenagers, you know, at a certain point, you're not going to be viewed as a child anymore. Mm -hmm. So you have to start making better decisions and everything doesn't need, every problem doesn't need your your response or it doesn't need an aggressive reaction. Um, sometimes you just need to talk things out, but we also try to incorporate the parents into counseling for children because the parents are the ones that are going to have to reinforce this type of mindset and behavior at home. Have you seen a bullying lead to violence or anything of that sort based on your experience dealing with uh, uh, bullies, Jessica? Oh, yes. Well, you see it a lot of times with um if you live in an area that has a high gang rate or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I do see I, I used to work at a high school as well, and I would see it often if you're trying to prove yourself to the other kids that you're not weak or mm-hmm. that you, you know, can stand up for yourself. You might try to pick a fight with somebody, and it does get dangerous. And a lot of times, depending on the area that you're in, and mm-hmm. the school that I was at was um, – a very low socioeconomic, um, high-crime neighborhood, those kids had access to guns, you know. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so it was um, – it could get very scary at times as well. So, yes, I've definitely seen and have heard of instances where bullying has ended up um, deadly or with police involvement. And who's who's usually the person, is it the bully that brings the gun to the school or is it the victim? Because I've seen mostly with victims based on some of the articles I've seen that the person, like, 
didn't want to commit suicide because you had, I remember you stated earlier that's one of the leading causes of uh, was it, uh, suicide with teens, bullying as a, has a contribution to that, being bullied at school, and they just check yeah. out. But um, is it any violence that's usually taken against a bully? I'm just curious. Um, I've seen that before, yes, where people, they get afraid and they try to act out aggressively and violently as well um, in hopes that maybe that will keep the bully at bay. But -hmm. at the end of the day, it really just hurts everybody that's involved. So it's definitely not the answer to, you know, go to school with a weapon um, because then that child turns out to be viewed as, um, the aggressor when really they're just trying to they're, 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 it's a cry for help essentially mm-hmm. and usually if it gets to that point uh, it's, been go- it's been going on for a while and nobody has intervened or the child just hasn't said anything to anybody mm-hmm. and I, I get that a lot too where children just won't say I'm being bullied because they don't want to be looked at as a snitch right. or a crybaby or anything like that so there's a lot of dynamics that go into that. And there are a lot of bullies that are, are, are in mobs, too. Is that right? So it's not just one. It's like a group, isn't it? Right. Especially um, you see that a lot with girls. Girls usually kind of pack together, and it's like, mm-hmm. if I don't like you, I'm going to make sure that this whole group of girls doesn't like you. And so usually that's what we'll see a lot in, in the girls. Are but it can also happen in the guys, too. Oh, definitely. Are you familiar with the, I think it's the the Phoebe Prince case where the girl committed suicide in high school because it was a group of kids. This was years ago. And uh, she was from Ireland, I believe. She was getting settled in America, and she went to a school, and her parents uh, didn't know any of this was going on. She was being bullied at school, and then she just committed suicide. It sounds familiar. There's been a lot of cases like that, uh, and it mm-hmm. turns out to be that way, where kids may pretend to be your friend or whatever, and uh-huh. then they humiliate, they humiliate you, um, yes. and then that just that just kind of pushes them over the edge. High school is such a small part of your life. It has no predictive information about you. Nobody's a person they were in high school. How do you get these kids to see that? Uh, that's right. Just, it's very... Yes, yes, you're right. And I I laugh sometimes when I think about some of the things that I was so worried about when I was 16, you know, 15, 16 years old. I just thought it was the end of the world. And mm-hmm. I'm able to laugh about it now. It's like, wow, um, I've grown so much and I've developed so much as mm-hmm. a young lady and as mm-hmm. a woman and now my mom and I guess I would have never, but because I was 15 or 16, I couldn't think that far. I couldn't think if, you know, into my 30s or 40s or 50s, like Mm -hmm. that's not developmentally normal for a teenager. So it is very challenging when I'm counseling teens to get them to look ahead and realize this is only temporary. And you'll never, you'll probably never see these kids again unless you mm-hmm. stay here. But a lot of times you guys are going to go off when you graduate from high school. You're going to go off and go to college and move mm-hmm. to different parts of the world. And you'll never see each other again. So the opinion of these people, they don't matter in the long run. Absolutely. Jessica, hold that thought. We're in the end of our third segment. This is Game on Business Talk. We'll be right back. 
Hi, we're back. This is Game on Business Talk with Dempsey Miles. We have a wonderful topic today, mental wellness for healthy living and life. And we have a wonderful guest, Jessica Ladden, principal and founder of JL Counseling LLC. That was a riveting last segment, Jessica. We were talking about the teen uh, bullying and teen uh, homicide and suicide. I'd like to piggyback up on that if you, if you, if you don't mind because that, you really dropped some nuggets of wisdom. Why is it so hard for these kids to uh, cope with each other? Is this something that, you know, I know when you're in high school, you form cliques and everything. What's What's been your experience? Um, just lack of learning how to regulate their own emotions. And that's something that you learn as young as being a baby or a toddler. Mm-hmm. When you are having a tantrum because you can't get something that you want, your parents are supposed to guide you into Mm -hmm. helping you to learn how to deal with that emotion appropriately. Um, But sometimes that is not addressed as a young child. And so as you grow older, you're not able to deal with some of the stresses that come your way. And then it results in chaos the older you get. Uh, And it becomes destructive to your relationships and to your overall well-being. I have you seen this a lot where uh, girls are jealous because one young lady is seeing a high school football star and she come up under attack with bully attacks or whatever. Have you seen that a lot when you deal with counseling with these kids in high school? You see that a lot? Oh, guys, yes, 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 especially at the high school level. But it happens as young as elementary school, really. Uh-huh. Um, but, yes, you'll see that a lot where it's the competitive nature where the girls are just very jealous or wanting the attention of the guy or, or several boys, mm-hmm. and they'll just kind of alienate one particular girl um, because she's very pretty or whatever it is that um, interests the guys. So I do see that often um, in, in young in young ladies. Wow! How, do you usually have to get the ring later in there for counseling? And if you do, what kind? What's what's been your experience with trying to provide counseling to the ringleader of this new and these type of things? What's been your experience? <laughs> Well, in the past, I've usually only been able to really work with the victims of bullying Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the bully or the aggressor, they don't think anything's wrong with them. Um, Yeah, you can't necessarily make somebody talk to you. So it has to be a voluntary thing. And a lot of times with abusers or perpetrators, they think that everything is fine. Are you serious? Oh, wow. (laughs) So what do they tell you when you talk to them? What kind of what kind of responses do you get? Um well, particularly with teenagers, they don't want you to see them in a bad light. So if I ever do come into contact with a, a child who's been accused of bullying, a lot of times they'll deny it or they'll place blame on that other person and say, Well, they did this to me or so I was just you know, retaliating. So a lot of time, there's no real ownership there or responsi- taking responsibility for their actions. Um, and that's typical of, of a child whose brain is not fully developed yet. So I just try to talk to everybody about the importance of learning how to talk your problems out or stay away from each other because everybody's not going to be your cup of tea. 
Mm-hmm. And you know that even as an adult, there's just going to be people that you work around or you see, and y'all just are not going to get along with each other, and that's okay. Um, but you also don't have to be disrespectful towards one another or put your hands on one another. Have you seen a situation that you were brought in as a counselor to try to help some students that were just getting out of control? How bad have you seen? Um, I haven't had too many major um, incidents, really. I've just um, the worst I've had are some uh, cyberbullying instances, posting mm-hmm. mean things on social media, that type of thing that kind of got around the whole school. But mm-hmm. other than that, nothing. Uh, Nothing too outrageous. Wow, 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 wow! I, I guess our children represent where we are in society. Correct? If we have all these mental illnesses and things that we have, we're dealing in life. Well, your kids are a representation of that, so they're mimicking life pretty much. And I like what you said. The perpetrator doesn't see anything wrong, so that says that lets me know they have a psychotic behavior where they don't feel anything, a lack of empathy. And uh, do you see that a lot when you deal with people, especially domestic violence situations with bullying and those type of things? Do you see that a lot, lack of empathy? Oh, yes, definitely. And that's one of the key things I try to work on with young children. But mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to de- to develop that if you've had some sort of trauma. And as you mm-hmm. become an adult, it makes it just harder for you to understand how other people are feeling and to not feel entitled mm-hmm. um, and feel like you're right in every situation. So, yes, empathy is something that a lot of people lack, and you can see it all the time, even on television, watching the news, uh, you can see a lot of that lack of empathy and respect for others. Have you had uh, Have you had to have someone refer to you for adult bullying? Have you had to deal with a situation like that? Did they need no, to I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, normally, you know, at this age, I think that adults tend to just stay away from whoever it is, or mm-hmm. sometimes we may wind wind up seeing them on the six o'clock news, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with mm-hmm. a mugshot. Um, so I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I've never heard of adult bullying, but I'm sure it does happen. It usually tends to come out in another manner, though. Absolutely, yes, live and well. It's uh, a little bit more sophisticated in schoolyard bullying because <laughs> me and my research team did some research on it. And let me give you an example. Normally, bullying is uh, someone in a superior position to someone that's in a subordinate position. And one of the mm-hmm. things you'll find that's interesting, one of the things that adult bullies do is try to sabotage the victim, especially if it's uh, a supervisor or a boss. And one of the yes. things that they do is hide documents to try to humiliate you, uh, sabotage you on a project, and then humiliate you in front of public. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's a connection between workplace violence and workplace bullying because people all have their tipping point. What would you say about that? Oh, yes, I definitely agree. And I've seen a lot of clients that have a lot of workplace stress, and usually it is related to um, conflict with either a coworker mm-hmm. or with a very aggressive supervisor or boss. And mm-hmm. so that can create a lot of stress. And like I said, if one in, in four, one in five adults have a mental illness, um, 
and you're adding bullying and aggressiveness and stress on top of that, it's just a recipe for disaster. And so that's why you do see a lot of times uh, you'll have HR, human resources, try to um, have a lot of trainings on mm-hmm. how to deal with people, especially if you're letting someone go, um, especially particularly with this pandemic. A lot of people were let mm-hmm. go or their jobs were um, uh, they were laid off from their jobs. And so, But there's a way that you deal with people. There's a way that you handle those situations. And you have to do it with kindness and respect and compassion. And you can't just talk to people any kind of way because it definitely can backfire on you with the lawsuits or, you know, unfortunately we have had, we have had instances where you've seen it on the news where people uh, have gone to work with weapons. Um, and so we, that's the last thing we want to have happen. Man. Wow. 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 Have you ever provided a workshop at the, at the, at someone's uh, organization on workplace bullying? Or oh, bullying period. I, I bet you'd probably get a kick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've talked. I've done talks on bullying. I participated in different things on bullying, but nothing workplace related. I've talked to um, a few uh, entrepreneurs about mm-hmm. just managing their stress. Mm-hmm. so that they can learn to set boundaries or deal with conflict so that it doesn't affect their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't done something specifically on workplace bullying, but you've given me an idea for uh, for further for a further presentation in the future. So It's definitely a problem, and a lot of times, and the, when we did research on the topic, a lot of times it's, bullying is kind of like the eye beholder. It's uh, it's very mm-hmm. hard to prove, and it's hard it's hard to prove uh, legally as well. Like, give me give you something a bully does. What if I go to my department, right, and I don't like you, mm-hmm. right? I come in in the morning, I speak to everybody except you. Now, is yes. that really bullying? No. Yes. It okay. is. Some people would say <laughs> it's not because I don't have to tell you good morning. I could tell yeah. I'm being nice and tell everybody good morning, but I don't have to tell you if I don't like you. Well, somebody yeah. might say, like, hey, say if you get a victim, right, and they say, uh, well, uh, I felt bullied because he spoke to everybody, but he didn't speak to me. Well, maybe yeah. that person doesn't like you. They just don't speak to you, but that's not bullying them. So tell me your thoughts on that as an expert. How's you? What would you say? So technically, it would be a form of probably emotional uh, bullying or emotional abuse Mm -hmm. because you're trying to uh, make that person essentially feel left out or Mm -hmm. you're trying to have – it's a subtle kind of passive way or Mm passive-aggressive way of letting this person know, I -hmm. don't like you. Um, Mm -hmm. And so – I know that a lot of times with abuse, it is very subjective, like you Mm -hmm. said, in the eye of the beholder. And a lot of people are just not educated on Mm -hmm. what um, different abuse or bullying is. And so I think if we educate people more, they'll be more aware, and that will save them from having a lot of issues in the work environment or getting write-ups or being disciplined because they are leading with their emotions instead of leading with their reasoning. Wow. That is interesting, interesting. Good. We're going to have to bring you back, Jessica. You're dropping that heat today. (laughs) (laughs) 
But piggyback on what you said, uh, they call that's a form of bullying called ostracism, where the bully tries to isolate the victim uh, from from the group. And another form of that, which is definitely passive aggressive, another form of that is called um, icing out. And what that means is, like, I've had this happen to me. And uh, like, say the bully doesn't like you. And the bully says, well, I don't want you to attend any employee meetings. I don't want you there. You don't need to be there. So that's yeah. a form of ostracism, to isolate you from everybody else, to, to, to continue to torment you. That's what bullies do. And bullies also, you love, really love this, Jessica, they make a policy on the fly. They make a policy just for you. <laughs> yes. Have you seen that? Yes, or send emails, you know, um, and CC everybody, you know, mm -hmm. to try to humiliate you. And we, mm -hmm. you know, I've been in companies where we've talked about workplace humiliation. Yeah, oh, wow. but it can be a, it's a very thin line that people have to be very careful about that um, unless they want to get a lawsuit. I mean, again, bullying is still hard to prove legally. I think it's gotten better. Yeah. But uh, if somebody comes in and says good morning to everybody but doesn't say it to you, that could be somebody could say, well, that, what does that have to do with your job performance? He doesn't have to talk to you. But the bully knows yeah. what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're, not, they're very it, clever. It, yeah, and it can make you so uncomfortable to where it is affecting your job performance. Oh, that happens all the time. There's statistics that people – when they experience uh, trauma or, or anything that uh, related to bullying at work, absenteeism is higher, sick mm -hmm. leave, uh, turnover. A lot yeah. of times, you know, you got to ask yourself, is that bully worth me getting a lawsuit? And a lot of people uh, look the other way, but you, you really can't. You really can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Oh, wonderful. We're toward the end of our segment, our last segment. Jessica, I wanted to ask you, if our listeners want to get in contact with you about your mental health and therapy services, what's the best way they can reach you? They can reach me at jlcounselingllc.com. I have more information in there about the services I provide, and they can send me a message directly for um, inquiries, whether it's about booking or about counseling services. Okay, yeah, I don't think you would have given me a number. You're going to go on and hit them with the email, right? <laughs> they can also call me. If, if you're not a, a, a technologically savvy person, you can call me at 318-759-7865. Okay. You want, you want to give your email just in case? <laughs> yeah, sure. Wellness at jlcounselingllc.com. Oh, wow. Well, goodness, we're going to have to bring you back, young lady. You was dropping that heat today. <laughs> we could talk about bullying for about a whole, a whole uh, show. <laughs> yes, yes. Just let me know where you want me to come back. Awesome, awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I, I really, we really, really enjoyed you. And uh, please, uh, please let me know. Uh, uh, get in contact with the uh, uh, studio. Definitely love to bring you back if you're interested. I think yes, I got yes, my yes. money's worth today. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> well, thank you again for having me. I'm always I'm always excited and ready to talk about mental health. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, dear. Well, we're out of here. This is our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We want to again thank our guest, Jessica Latin, principal of founder of JL Counseling LLC. 
You know, we had a wonderful show today on mental wellness for healthy living and life. This is Game On Business Talk with DNT Miles. We will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Game On Business Talk Radio with host DeAnthony Miles.